Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, Lock and Load. Whenever soldiers are moving from a green zone into a red zone, they will hear the words lock and load. After that moment, the battle has begun. As a church, our best days are ahead of us, so it's time for us to get ready to battle and contend for the hearts of people. Our prayer is that you begin to prepare yourself as we begin to share the love of Christ with this community and the world. Good morning. Everybody good? Y'all excited? Are you awake? Good. It's going to be awesome. Um, hey, if you're new here to Connection, we're glad you are here and glad you came to worship with us. Um, uh, praying that God does awesome things in our hearts, whether you're a first-time guest or whether you've been here several times before. And always praying that God works and does what only God can do, and that is change our hearts and create us to be more like Him. Um, it's awesome to see that video uh, by Kyle and Christy. And one of my favorite things about the church and that I hear more and more often um, as we go along and it seems to be spreading throughout the church and throughout the culture of our church is how people take care of each other. And I love to see that happen in our connect groups. Um, obviously, we're bigger than one person can sustain um, care and care for people the way God calls us to care for each other. But it's awesome to see people become the body of Christ, to become the church and step out and begin to love each other and walk and do life together. And that's why we started connect groups. That's what this whole church focuses towards. If If you were to picture this church as a funnel, at the bottom of that funnel is people getting in connect groups. Everything we do, we do with a desire to have people in these small groups so that they're growing um, closer to each other, closer to God, literally connecting to God and connecting to each other and doing life together centered around the gospel, um, God's word. And so if you're not in a connect group, man, we'd love for you to check those out. You can stop at the next steps table. Um, You can email us. You can call us. Whatever we can do to help you get into one of those, we'd love to help you. Um, They'll be kicking back up here in a couple of weeks. And I'm excited about all that God's doing. We're starting 15 new groups um, this fall. And uh, so one of those probably has your name on it. So check those out. Be awesome um, to, to get you involved in one of those groups. Um, today we're going to continue this series, Lock and Load. Uh, if you weren't here last week, um, it, was, it was awesome. What a great day of worship and, and just seeing Jesus move in people's hearts. But this series is about getting ready. It's about preparing. And we talked about how in the military, when um, people say lock and load, it's typically some of the last instructions they're given. It happens as they go from a green zone to a red zone, as they go from green zone over into where the fighting is taking place. And they say lock and load, in other words, get ready. Load the gun, let's go. It's time to battle. And as a church, as we've been praying, as I've been praying and seeking the Lord, I really believe this with all my heart. God is preparing us to do something um, in this community, in this, his kingdom. I believe there, the best is yet to come. I don't believe we've seen our best days. I believe God has some incredible things in store. And I'm absolutely pumped about that and seeing what he's going to do in the hearts and lives of people in this community. And so we're getting ready. We need to be preparing as individuals, but we also need to be preparing as a church to be ready to do the things that God's putting in front of us. It's time for us to battle. It's time for us to contend. It's time for us to get after it, to bring people into the kingdom. I was praying as we worship, the Lord just put it on my heart. And I just pray, God, take some back for your kingdom today. Snatch some out of the hand of Satan today that they would come to know you. And and man, when when that happens, we're gonna rejoice and we're gonna celebrate because I know there are many more people in this community that God desires to bring into a relationship with himself. And so we're gonna do that. We're gonna prepare and we're gonna get ready. 
Last week we looked at, in week one of the series, we looked at a prayer that we need to be praying. And, and um, we've got our 20-day prayer um, uh, challenge going on, and you can pray that online with us. But last week we looked at a specific prayer, and that prayer was Jesus more of you. And we began to re- talk about and, and come to this realization that unless we have more of Jesus, unless Jesus moves, everything we do is empty. And so we need more of Jesus. Um, the world doesn't need more Brandon. The world doesn't need more of any of us. The world doesn't need more of Connection Church. The world needs more of Jesus, right? And so we're praying and we're praying fervently and we're contending that Jesus would show himself greater and greater um, through us, through this church and in this community to people who are far from him. But along with that comes something else. And today it's going to be the topic of the message and um, another prayer that we need to be tagging on to the end of that. The first one is Jesus more of you. The second one is this Jesus less of me, right? Not quite as exciting as Jesus, more of you. It's like, Jesus, more of you. Yes, Jesus, less of me. All right, whatever it takes, you know, okay. And, and so we realize it's maybe not quite as exciting, but it's just as necessary. And so I want to look at that today. We're going to be in John chapter 3. You have your Bibles, you can turn there, and we're going to begin reading in verse 22. And this is when Jesus is coming on the scene. He's beginning his ministry. Um, John the Baptist has been baptizing, calling people to repentance. And then Jesus comes along, and he's leading his disciples to baptize people also. And so this is where we're picking up with Jesus and John the Baptist, both baptizing. And we're right here in chapter 3 of John, verse 22. Let's read this uh, through Uh, Verse 25, and then we'll pray and we're going to jump in and get after it. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. I pray your word, God, um, just speaks to our heart. Thank you that it is living and active. Let it cut us to our soul, God. Let it um, reveal our heart. And God, um, God, just bring us to a place of seeing your greatness. Because when we see your greatness, God, the only reasonable thing for us to do is to become less, to exalt you, not ourselves. Lord, speak to our hearts and do a great work today in us through the power of your spirit, God. Right here, right now, in this divine moment that you've set up and appointed us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things that I have realized over the, the last several years as I started preaching and have preached more and more over the last few years um, is that for me at least, preaching has a way of keeping you humble, right? If you're in front of people and, you know, even if it's just walking out and like wondering, is my zipper down? Like they're looking at me funny. Is my, is my zipper down? You know, and you're kind of like, I don't know. And, and so it has a way of keeping you humble. You're always kind of on your toes. Um, it, it has a way of, of keeping you humble because there's been times when I would preach a message and it'd be one of those messages where you just, man, you're just all into, you're just excited. And everybody's like, yeah, amen. Everybody's clapping. And you walk off the, the stage and you're like victory lap, you know, da, 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 da. And then like nobody responds. Right? And so you're like, dang, maybe that wasn't as good as we thought it was. And then um, there's times when you'll be up here and you'll be talking and you use an illustration, you tell a story about something, and then you walk out and people are like, man, Pastor, that message was great. Now explain that illustration to me again. And you're like, that's the only thing they heard. And, and I had this happen one time. I told a story one time in a message, and um, the story was about us finding something dead in Susan's car. 
Some of y'all remember that, and, and you don't remember what, what else I talked about, but you remember that. And, and the thing was that we talked about it, and I said I could smell it, but I couldn't find it. And I went on from there and, and, and tied it into the message. And after the message, I had so many people come up and go, Preacher, that was a good message. What was dead in the car? It was like the only thing they could think of. You know? And so I realized that this, it doesn't matter really what I do. It doesn't matter um, how good the message is. It doesn't really matter what we do as individuals unless the power of Jesus is working through what we do. Right? And so we can walk off stage. We can spike our Bibles. We can do anything uh, we want to do. We can, we can um, do victory laps. We can jump around. We can do whatever we want to do. But unless Jesus moves in people's hearts, unless he sends the power of his Holy Spirit and it work, he works among us, what we do is really in vain. And so that's why last week we talked about we need more of Jesus. We need more of his work. Jesus worked through us. We need more of you. And I believe that John the Baptist understood this. As you begin to look at these first three verses, and we're going to go through the rest of this chapter in a minute, but as you begin to look at these first three verses, one of the things that you begin to see is that John the Baptist had a powerful ministry. He had these Jewish people coming out to be baptized and doing it in a way that Jewish people did not do. This was not a traditional practice of the Jews. It's not the way that he was doing it. Not this baptism of repentance that he was calling him to. If you've read the Bible, you know this. Jewish people did not break from their traditions easily, did they? No. In fact, that's part of why they killed Jesus. And so they didn't break from that tradition easily. Yet John's ministry was so powerful. His preaching was so powerful that people were coming out and they were saying, yeah, I'll be baptized. God was using John in an incredible way. We also know his ministry was powerful because in Acts chapter 19, we see the apostle Paul go into a town called Ephesus that is 1800 miles away from Jerusalem. And he goes into Ephesus and he finds disciples of John. 1800 miles away from where he was baptizing, where he was preaching. Now you got to understand this. Think about this. That doesn't seem like a huge deal for us because we can go online and we've got, we got blogs and we've got Twitter and we've got Facebook and we've got podcasts and we've got vodcast and we got, we got all kinds of things, right? We got YouTube. We got all these different ways that we can tie in and connect with somebody that's 1800 miles away. But this ministry was so powerful that without all of that, people were still becoming John's disciples from this long distance. This was a powerful ministry. It was huge. And yet John, when Jesus comes on the scene, comes to this realization, I've got to step to the side and let Jesus become the point person. I've got to become number two so that he can become number one. I've got to humble myself. I've got to become less so that he can become greater because he is greater. And here's the thing I want to tell you today. Listen, we can try to humble ourselves. We can try to make ourselves less. We can go through all the Christian slogans and sayings. But until we have a revelation of the greatness of Jesus, we'll never submit ourselves to him. We'll never make ourselves less. Because here's the thing. If we're the problem, first, selfishness, which can we admit 10 out of 10 people are selfish, right? Yeah, we say that all the time here because it's true. Had a lady try to argue that with me one time. She said, I'm not selfish. I said, yes, you are. That never goes well. She's like, no, I'm not. I said, yeah, you are. You're selfish. I saw her the next week at, a ball, at the ball field. She comes up, she goes, you know what? I realized I was selfish. I said, I know, I told you so. <laughs> and good friend, so she understood, but 
It's the reality that we're all selfish. And here's the thing I know, that with all of our issues and all of the things that are going on, which we all have, hello, everybody in here has got issues, right? With all of our issues and all the things that are going on in our lives, if we could fix us, if I could fix me, if me could fix me, I'd have done it a long time ago, right? But the reality of it is I can't fix me. And John the Baptist realized this. He said, he realized I can't fix me. I can't fix anybody else. I've got to get out of the way of the one who can fix people. I got to get out of the way because I'm the problem. We need the solution. That's what we've got to come to as Christians. We've got to come to a place where we realize that life is found in Christ. Life is found, as Jesus said, when I'm willing to lay down my life, when I'm willing to lose my life, I can actually find life. Why? Because I connect to the life giver. And it doesn't make sense in our human minds, but the reality of it is, if I'll trust him, I will die to myself. If I see his greatness, my only reasonable response is to say, I want more of him. I can't come close to that. But we know we're selfish. We know we're selfish because like last week we announced this. Hey, we're going to try to get 200 people to go to the nine o'clock service. And this is what you hear. They must be talking to them right? It's somebody else. And so you say those kind of things or, you know, people that get up at 530 in the morning to set up, they're like, they don't wake up at 530 in the morning and just are like, woohoo, right? There's just something in them that's greater that says, I want to go set up. I want to go serve. I want to be in the parking lot. I want to do um, help with these children. I want to do whatever I can do to help advance the kingdom. There's something greater inside of them. that says there's more to this. And they quit being driven by self-preservation. And they begin to be driven by the desires of God. It only happens when we begin to see that God is greater than us. That we begin to see the greatness of Jesus. We can't give generously until we begin to see the greatness of Jesus and realize everything I have, everything I own, everything that is a part of my life is His. And it's all His to bring Him glory. Not to elevate myself, but to elevate Him. And we begin to elevate Jesus we begin to see his greatness and our natural response is to humble ourselves before him we know this is true think about John the apostle he walked with Jesus he talked with Jesus he ate with Jesus he even says I'm the one whom Jesus loved that's what he called himself the one who Jesus loved that's kind of a pat on the back and then you're like Jesus loves everybody he's like yeah but he really loves me right he called himself the one who Jesus loved. But when he sees the resurrected Jesus, when he sees Jesus in his glorified state, what does he do in the book of Revelation? Let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't chest bump Jesus, give him some boom, and be like, let's grab a sandwich. He falls on his face as though he were dead because he sees the greatness of the Lord. And when we see the greatness of Jesus, that's our only response. You cannot look face to face in the eyes of Christ and go, I think I'm better than him impossible so if we're going to become less if he's going to become more first thing we got to do is we got to see god's greatness we got to see the greatness of jesus we got to have a revelation and here's what we usually say as as a church this is what we usually say as christians we have all these christian sayings we'll say these things like this you got to die to yourself right you ever heard that one and we'll go to Galatians 2.20 and we'll say, you know, Paul said this, that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And, and we say, you got to die to yourself. You just got to die. Well, I'm having struggles with this. Well, you just got to die. We'll just die, right? We just tell people that. Or we say, less of me. It sounds so spiritual. Well, just less of me. 
less of me. And, and, and most of us are going, yeah, we'd like to have less of you too. That's like, ain't no doubt about it. And so we say these things, this sounds so spiritual. And they say, we say, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. And it's absolutely true. It's not about us. We should be crucified with Christ. Now listen, it shouldn't, there should be less of us and more of Jesus. But the reality of it is, and what John the Baptist tells us, and what the Bible teaches us is that we'll never consistently allow ourselves to become less and Jesus to become greater until we've had the revelation that he is greater. We won't, we can't. Why would you? Why would you give up your life until you see that there is a greater one? There is a greater life. There's a greater way. Until we understand his way is the best way, we can't do it. Our flesh is weak. So we spend our time frustrated and angry and mad and just, why can't I do it? I just died to myself. You said just died to myself. And just frustrated. I would say this, so many of us are living out of a place where we're just trying to do it in our own strength and we're not seeing the greatness of God because if we consistently put ourselves in the presence of God through his word, through prayer, through worship, through church, whatever it is, and we see the greatness of Jesus, there is only one response and that is humbling ourselves before him. That is realizing my job is to become two and to point everybody else to number one. That's the reality of the Christian life. We've got to begin to refocus. We've got to put our eyes on Jesus. Most of the time we spend our eyes at looking at the problem. Think about this. If we say, I've been crucified, I've got to be crucified. I've got to crucify my flesh. I've got to crucify my flesh, which is true, but you can't overcome your flesh. If we say, less of me, less of me, less of me, less of me. If you say, I've got to become less, I've got to become less, I've got to become less. Who's the object of those sentences? You, me. I've got to die, I've got to die, I've got to die. Who should the focus of life be? Jesus. When we see his greatness, we only have one result, and that is humbling ourselves before him. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it in our own power. It's only through the power of God and the realization and revelation of his greatness that we're able to come to that place of saying, Jesus, you become greater. I want to become less. I do want to die. It's when we can say, I have been crucified. Because I've seen the greatness of the Lord. Before Paul could write Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, he had to have a revelation of who Jesus is on the road to Damascus. Before John the Baptist could say, I must become, he must become greater, I must become less, he had to have a revelation of who Jesus is and his greatness so that he could utter those words, not just utter, but actually live them out. We begin to see that. Let's keep reading here in verse 26. I want you to understand, if he's going to become greater... It's going to be because we realize that he is, okay? Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. Little problem here. I know you can't believe this, but there's competition here in the religious system. You know, I know you've never seen that if you've been around church for a while, the competition between ministries, but that's basically what's taking place here is that John's disciples are going, hey, John, we got a little issue. There's this dude named Jesus, and he's over here baptizing. Everybody's going to him. What about us? What about us? What are we going to do? And then listen to John's response, verse 27 through 30. To this, John replied, a man can only receive or can receive 
only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The famous verse of John 3.30, he must become greater. I must become less. How could John say that? He's sitting here watching someone become more famous than him. He's had the, the spotlight. He's been in the limelight. Everybody was coming to John. All the talk was about John and what John was doing. And yet when his disciples come and they say, this guy's becoming bigger than us. How in the world could John rejoice that somebody was taking the spotlight? I believe it comes back to the fact that he understood the greatness of Jesus. And when we have a clear understanding of the greatness of Jesus, when we understand that he is greater, I've said it a bunch already, we come to this place of understanding my only reasonable response is to submit. My only reasonable response is to bow. My only reasonable response is to give my life so that I can truly live through the one who gives life. Y'all getting this? Y'all look kind of tired. And listen, there's a better life out there for us. And Jesus offers it. I believe this, when we see the greatness of Jesus, it brings clarity to our life. It brings clarity to where we should be, to our position. I was riding down Rocky Ford Road. I'd left my parents' house. Um, this has been a few weeks ago. I don't know if y'all noticed or not, but it's been raining some. And so it was raining and, and it was raining hard. I mean, like big drops fast. I had the windshield wipers on like wide open and that doesn't really help. You know what I mean? It just looks like they're going to fly off. And so they're going wide open. I'm going down Rocky Ford Road and it's raining and the wind's blowing. I'm thinking to myself, I need to pull over. And so I started slowing down. I was about to pull over. I was getting close to Highway 25. Um, I didn't want to run out in the middle of the intersection and get hit by somebody else. So I started slowing down. Right when I started slowing down, out of nowhere, it's dark. The rain's falling. I mean, it's just heavy rain. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden, is a pine tree literally about this big around across the road, about windshield high. And I see it. And it's like literally like from me to the front row. And I'm like, Aah! I just hit the brake, start sliding, wham, hit the pine tree. Not bent my bumper, messed it all up. So if anybody knows how to fix bumpers and you need practice, Got a bumper for you. But I realized like I couldn't see, like I, I couldn't see clearly. And I know this from living life. And I know this from watching other people live life. When we're not seeing clearly, when we don't see clearly the greatness of Jesus, man, we run into all kinds of obstacles, don't we? we? In fact, we put obstacles in our own way. When we begin to see the greatness of Jesus and we put ourselves in proper position submitted to him and we begin to live for him and not live for ourselves, we begin to set our own desires and our own self-preservation to the side and we begin to actually see his greatness so that we can become less so that we recognize that is our proper position. He begins to do incredible things in us and then he'll begin to do incredible things through us. But we've got to come to that place and when we see the greatness of Jesus, it brings clarity to a few things. And I want to walk through some of these verses and just show you some of the things that I've 
believe John the Baptist saw clearly. When he saw the greatness of Jesus, there came great clarity to his life. And I want you to see this work out. And I want you to see how it works in your own life. So let's read verses 27 and 28 one more time and see what they say to us. It says, to this, John replied, a man can receive only what he is given from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The first thing I'll tell you is this. When we see this greatness, we have clear expectations. I asked you earlier, how could John rejoice in the fact that Jesus was taking his place? How could John rejoice that Jesus was becoming bigger? How could John rejoice that Jesus was being exalted and he was becoming less? How could he utter the words, he must become greater and I must become less and actually live those out? I believe it was because his expectations had been met. John knew that this wasn't about him. He knew that it was about Jesus. I think many times we come to faith in Christ and we come to faith in Christ thinking that somehow it's still about us. Somehow the universe still revolves around us. Hello, it doesn't. We don't come to faith so that we can be exalted. We come to faith so that we can exalt Jesus. That means his desires take over our desires. That means we see his greatness and we realize this is about him. And we don't end up disappointed because our expectations have been met. Everything I do is to bring glory to God. Everything I do is to elevate his greatness, to help other people see his greatness. And our expectations are met. And we recognize this is the way it's supposed to be. How many times we spend life disappointed at work? We spend life disappointed at home. We spend life disappointed in all these different areas because our expectations weren't met. But understand this, this world wasn't created to exalt you. We were created to exalt God. And we got to get to that place where we realize that he is greater. And here's the reality, guys. We'll never find life until we're really willing to lose it, until we see the greatness of Jesus. And we're willing to say, my joy is not in self-preservation. My joy is in losing my life so that I can truly live in Him. I think the problem with Christianity so many times is that we've never tried it. We leave disillusioned and frustrated because we've never come to that place where we say, His greatness is so obvious, so amazing. My only response is to say, Jesus, more of you and less of me. Whatever that means, whatever that looks like. I'll lay my desires to the side. I'll, I'll, I'll lay this relationship to the side. I'll lay these finances to the side. I'll lay my goals and my dreams and everything that I've held so dearly to the side. If only to elevate you, Jesus, and for you to be seen. Whatever it is you need from me, God, use me. Let me be a tool in your hands that I could be used so number one, we begin to see clearly proper expectations. We begin to understand we're not created to be the focal point. Jesus is. Number two, look at verse 27 again. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. And then if you want to, or you can just look at the screen, Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. This is still um, as John is preparing the way he's preaching that there's one coming greater than me. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Number two is this, when we see his greatness, our limitations become clear. That's what John the Baptist is seeing. 
He's like, I can only receive what I'm given from heaven. Only the things that God the Father gives me can I have. So there's no need in me saying, well, I ought to be recognized. Somebody ought to give me a statue or a plaque or something. You know, it's, 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 it's just pointless. He's like, I'm receiving what I'm supposed to be given from heaven and I'm trusting God. He says it again in Matthew 3, 11. He says, listen, this is what I realized. I can baptize you with water, but there's only one who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, I recognize my limitations. How much better off would we be if we could just recognize our own limitations and begin to trust God? How much better off would we be when we realize we can't fix ourselves? Here's the funny thing. We try to boast in the things we do. Like if we can draw or we can paint, you know, wow, look, I can paint the sunset over the beach. I can paint this. And God's like, yeah, but I created the sunset. I created the sun. I created the beach. I'm greater. Like, yeah, but I can play an instrument and I can sing and I can do all these things. And Jesus is like, yeah, but I've got a host of angels who are around my throne who sing night and day, praising me and exalting me forever. I'm greater. We stand, you know, at the Grand Canyon and we look at this and we go, and we're so in awe of this, how big it is and how huge it is. And God's like, yeah, but do you know, I created this ball that you're spinning on and right now you're spinning at over a thousand miles an hour and you're orbiting around the sun at over 67,000 miles an hour. And you're also in this solar galaxy, this system that the sun is in and that system is rotating, get this, at 486,000 miles per hour around the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is so big that even moving that fast, it'll be 226 million years before we get back to this place again. He's greater. You can't do that. Nor can I. We come to this place of recognizing he is greater. And that's whose hands we are in. How awesome and how amazing. Come on, church. I need to wake up. This is the reality of God. This is the God we serve. It is huge and big and holds us in his hands and says, no one can take me out of his hands. This is our God. This is how big he is. And in all our limitedness, we just grovel and we, we beg like some poor beggar. You're not a poor beggar. You're a child of God. Recognize who you are and whose you are and who you belong to and begin to rejoice in the greatness. And when you see the greatness, you can't help but humble yourself and say, God, you become greater. I want to be less. I want more of you, God. I don't want more of me. The world doesn't need more of me. It needs more of you. And I'm only satisfied in you. We look at ourselves and we go, I can fix this. I can fix that. I can make that relationship right. I can make my own heart right. I can somehow change my heart. And you can't, you can't. How can the problem fix the problem? If the problem is me, why would I exalt me? Because me can't do anything about it. Right? And we come to life and we come to, to, to the way we live and we come to Jesus and we come to this thing and it's as if we're this pot and this is life. One more time. And this is life. And, and we're in all these pieces and we're in all these parts and our life is just a pile of broken, just jagged pieces. And, and we're all broken up. And somehow we think we can fix us. But for me to think that I can fix me is like me walking over here and going, get right. What's wrong with you, you stupid pot? Don't go telling everybody that we had pot at Connection Church today. <laughs> What's wrong with you, pot? Fix yourself. 
Make yourself right. And that's what we do. We're like, I'll just fix me. I'll just fix, I can make me better. Watch this. And we start trying to rearrange the pieces, but we're still in a mess. And God's like, you know what? I'll help you with that if you want to. But we continue on. And so we look at this and and this is something I can't really, I got to show you this because let me show you this other illustration. Here's this other person. And they're like this. They're broken. In shambles and in a mess, and they got their life, and it's all piled up. And let me show you what we do. We look over here, and we're like, "Wow, my life is a mess. It's all broke up. It's all messed up." And this one goes, "Wow, my life is a mess. It's all broke up. It's all messed up." I know what we'll do. Let's put these two piles together. That ought to make it better. And maybe this broken pot can fix this broken pot. Pot, fix yourself, right? And it never works. It never happens. And what do we call this pile of broken mess? Marriage. (laughs) Two broken people thinking they're going to fix each other. It doesn't work. And until we come to the creator, until we come to the king of kings, and we begin to allow him to fix us, until we bring all this brokenness to him, it's never going to work. Until our lives are broken to the brought to the potter and he takes all those pieces and he begins to work them together and he begins to create something better and he begins to mold it and shape it into what he wants it to be back into the image of Christ back into the image of his creation it'll never work it just won't work but if we'll submit it to him he is the potter we are the clay and he begins to do something incredible in us that only he can do that's how God works and this is I'll tell you this Many of you, you probably all know this. How many of you remember Humpty Dumpty? Humpty Dumpty. The older I get, the more I realize I start to look like Humpty Dumpty. It's just nature. I said it before. You can nip it, tuck it, have surgery on it, whatever. It's going to eventually sag and we all become Humpty Dumpty eventually. And we know the the saying. It goes, you know, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses... All the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And so we got broken Humpty, looking just like us, headache, tired, beat down, worn out from life. I was thinking about that, and it's like, you know, we so try to put ourselves back together. And Humpty Dumpty even says, all the king's horses, all the king's men try to put Humpty together again, and they fail, and they couldn't do it. And here's the thing I would tell you, what your boyfriend can't do, what your girlfriend can't do, what your spouse can't do, what, what your husband, wife, what, what they can't do, what your preacher can't do, what, what everybody in this church can't do, the king of kings can do. The king's horses and the king's men and all those things might not be able to put Humpty back together again. But I'll tell you this. I know a God who specializes in putting broken lives back together. I know a God who specializes in putting ministry back together, in putting marriages back together, in putting families back together. And his name is Jesus. And if we'll come to a place where we recognize we can't, we're, we're limited and we can't put ourselves back together. That may be the best place we could be. Because then we're ready to submit it to the one who can. We're ready to let go and allow God to begin to work in our hearts and in our lives. Begin to smooth the rough edges. To begin to change us from the inside. To work good things in us from the outside. Jesus is limitless. We are limited. And when we see the greatness of Christ, it becomes very clear that we need to exalt him. And point people to him, not to ourselves.
Amen? Yeah. Number three, verse 29 and 30. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. And is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. He says, that joy is mine and is now complete. Number three ties in with number two. Number one is that our expectations become clear. Number two is that our limitations become clear and his limitless greatness becomes clear. Number three that is that when we see his greatness, we understand our purpose. And this ties so much to number two and really to number one. Because the thing we begin to see when we begin to see our limitations and we begin to see his greatness and how unlimited he actually is, then we begin to see that our purpose could not possibly be to point people to myself. My purpose could not possibly be to exalt me because I can't do anything for me or anyone else in my own power. So I point them to Jesus, the one who can put it all together. And that's what every one of us are here to do. We are here to exalt. We're here to elevate. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus. We're here to use our lives, expend our lives, expend our energy, our time, our resources, whether it's at work, with our kids, with our spouse, in our church, wherever it may be, to exalt Jesus. And here's the incredible thing about that. When you begin to realize that greatness is not found in you, greatness is found in Christ, then everything you do to exalt Him is considered great, no matter how big or how small. Why? because you are joining in with the eternal purpose of all creation. That's what God's called us to do. To connect people to Him, connect people to each other, to begin to use everything we have, all that we are, because we've seen the greatness of God and we say, God, what I can do with it, it's not much, but in your hands, it becomes unlimited. Use me, God. Let me fulfill my purpose. This is what John the Baptist says. He says, listen, all I am, I'm like the one who's attending the bridegroom. The, the bridegroom's attendant was always one who made preparations for the wedding. He sent out the invitations for the wedding. He would call people together for the wedding. He made sure everything was going to be right for the wedding. And, and he would make sure that it was all set up. You know, that's our job. Just like John the Baptist. He says, I'm just the attendant to the groom. And I'm here to point the bride to the groom. I'm here to be a part of connecting the bride to the groom. And that's what he's telling us is, listen, guys, I've called you to be fishers of men. I've called you to lock arm in arm. I've called you to be my church, not anybody else's church. You're not Brandon's church. I'm just one of the pastors here. You don't belong to the staff. This is my church. You're all part of my body. Now use what you have to glorify me. Exalt me. And he says, that's what we're called to do. Is connect the bride to the groom to bring them together. We're all called as John the Baptist to prepare the way. Verse 32 through 34. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it certified, has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. These words are all clarifying statements of verse 30 of why would John be able to say, why, why am I saying I must become, he must become greater and I must become less. And in this, we see that, that John, some people believe that John the apostle wrote this. Some people believe that John the Baptist said it. Either way, the point of what is being said is this, that I've been to heaven. I came from heaven. I was there when it was all created. I know the truth. I know God. I'm the only one who's ever seen it. Now trust that my way is true. Number four is this. When we see his greatness, we trust that what he says is truth. 
How much better, how much easier would life be if we just accepted his word as the truth and we just did what his word says? I talked to one of our staff members who had lunch with a lady in our church this week and she said, you know, my life has been so much different when I just started doing what the people who preach at the church tell me to do and what the Bible says. It's like, wow, there's a thought. Actually do what the Bible says and it changes your life. I thought it was so cool. Just do what it says. Trust that it's true. Trust that Jesus knows best. Trust that Jesus knows the plan. You know, you and I can't see around the corner. Jesus has seen it all. He knows what's best. We know that God loves us. He sent his only son. He gave his best. We know he loves us. And so we see that we can trust him. He knows the plan. This week, I got a Bible for Dake. I ordered it last week. It came in this week. And uh, Dake is my 10-year-old. I, uh, I got the Bible. It was one for like 8 to 12-year-old boys. And I was like, man, I'm going to get him that. And because I feel like he's at the age, he needs to start reading his Bible for himself. And so it comes in and seems like, you got the package. And I'm like, okay, great. You know, it's not like we're doing a drug deal or something. And so I go and, and get it opened up and I take it back into the bedroom. And, you know, I'm trying to set up this awesome moment with my son. And so I call him. I'm like, Dake, come here. And so he knows by the tone of my voice, I probably got something for him. So he comes back there and I said, son, listen, I got you this. And I handed him the Bible and he looked at it and, and, you know, guys aren't typically young boys like that aren't really excited about books. And so I was like, I want to tell you something about this book, Dake. And as I know, we've read it and I know you know a lot of it, but here's the reality of it, son. If you'll do what this book says, life's going to go a lot, lot better for you. If you'll follow God and you'll listen to this word and you'll do what it says and, and follow the direction of the Lord, your circumstances might not always be right, but I can tell you this, nobody's ever followed the word of God and made the worst mistake of their life. I said a lot of people have gone on their own way and we've made a lot of mistakes, but no one's ever followed God's word and done what the Bible says and made the biggest mistake of their life. I said, son, my biggest desire for you is to follow the teachings of this book and to know the one who wrote it. It was one of those moments where like as a dad, you're like, I love this. I love it. As a child, you're like, how do I get out of here? But it was really cool because he sat there and looked at it and then he put it back on the bed and he came and gave me the biggest hug. And I was like, I think he understood that. I think he got it. And my heart is the same thing for you. Read it and do what it says. Listen to God and do what it says. His plan is good. His plan is true. And when you see his greatness, you realize my plan is futile. My plan leads to death, but his leads to life. I want to follow him. I want to know him. I want to be under his authority. I want him to be the chief. I'm just, an, I'm just an Indian in the whole thing. He's the chief. He's the one in authority. I do what he says. And I can tell you this, when we put him in that seat of authority and we just do what Jesus says, everything may not go perfect, but there's a strength in our life that is just different than what we would normally have. I was, uh, Jackson, our middle son, I think that's right, middle son, um, he had uh, he, he we had a little little spat with him this week. He um, had baseball practice on Tuesday night, 
And he had committed to play a couple of games with a little team. And uh, so he had baseball practice. And he also had an opportunity to go to a birthday party. And at this birthday party was going to be his cousin, Brucey, who evidently Jackson loves Brucey more than he loves breath. Because when we told him he had to go to baseball practice, he flipped out. And you ever seen kids cry when they can't even talk? And so like we're, we're talking the night before. I'm like, Jackson, here's, here's the two options, son. You committed to play on this team. And the reality of it is you got two options. You can go and play with Brucey or you can go to baseball practice and you can play with Brucey later. But if you don't go to baseball practice, then you're not playing. So you can either go to practice or you can quit, whichever one you want to do. But you can't do both. That's your decision. You make that decision. And Jackson's like, oh, I just want to go to the party. I just want to go to the party. Next day, I get a phone call at five o'clock. And Susan, she's like, will you talk to Jackson? He says he wants to quit baseball. I said, that's fine. If he wants to quit, that's fine. She's like, well, just talk to him. He gets on the phone and he's doing that hysterical cry thing that kids do. Where you can't even talk. And he's just like, you know what I mean? Like where they can't even catch their breath. I was like, yeah, buddy. Here. I want to go to Bruce's. I was like, buddy. That's, that's fine. Let's go after practice. He goes, oh, I want to go to Brucey's now. And I said, Jackson, that's not an option. I told you that last night. I said, just go afterwards. He goes, I don't want to quit baseball. I said, well, son, that's not an option. He said, well, I'm going to quit then. I was like, okay. And I text Susan real quick. I said, he's going to regret that, Susan. Don't try to not to let him do that. He's going to regret it. He's going to regret it. And so she texts me back at 540, practice at 6. She said, meet me at the field. And so I get in my truck. I go up there. And by this time, he's decided he wants to practice. And he's decided to play baseball and do all this stuff. And, and so he goes and he practices. And here's the thing I know. Let me go ahead and clarify this because I know some people are like, man, come on. He's seven years old. Why are you doing that? But here's the thing I don't believe. I don't believe our society got in the condition it's in because we taught our kids responsibility too soon right? And I told him, you got to make a choice, son. You committed. You need to finish this. Do this. And so he goes and he goes to practice and he, he comes out of practice and we're walking back to the truck and I said, do you have fun, bud? And he goes, yes, sir, I did. And I said, well, how would you have felt tomorrow if you woke up and you weren't playing baseball anymore? He said, dang, daddy, that would be bad. I said, yes, son, I know it. And I said, I'm so glad you stuck with your commitment and you did the right thing. And I could see that coming, right? Like I'm sitting back watching this whole thing. And I realized that I could see around the corner. I knew that this was such a temporary thing. Son, let's play with him before. Let's play with him after. And he couldn't see past it. But I knew the next day he was going to regret not being on the team because all of his buddies were on the team. It was what he did to have fun. And I knew that he was going to regret it. I could see around the corner. He couldn't. He was he's seven. I've been there. I know what it, that's like. I've had that experience. And the thing that I realized for him is I've got to try to guide him in the right direction. Ultimately, he had to make that choice. But the reality for us, is we need to see that God sees around the corner. He sees the whole plan. We can trust that what he tells us to do is true. We can trust that if we follow him, he's going to lead us in the best path, in the best way. We can trust him. His words are true. He knows what he's talking about. He's seen it all. He knows the plan. If we'll simply humble ourselves, recognize his greatness is without beginning and without end. He's seen the whole thing and trust him and take him at his word. Verses 34, 36. So number four, is when we see his greatness, or when we see his greatness, we trust that what he says is true. Number five, 
out of verses 34 to 36. For the one whom God has sent, so God sent his son, speaks the words of God. For God gives the spirit without limit. The father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Number five, when we see his greatness, we see clearly what Jesus has done and what he desires to do. This is what I know. There's no, absolutely no way we can look into the eyes of Christ, having been slain for us, having been crucified for us, having taken our sin upon his body, upon himself, so that we would not have to suffer the wrath of God ourselves because of our sin. There's no way we can look at Christ, look at what he did for us, not recognize his greatness and continue to exalt ourselves. Absolutely 100% impossible. But when we begin to see the greatness of what he's done for us, man, there's no other option but to bow and to worship. Just like John on the island of Patmos when he had the revelation of Jesus. He bowed at his feet. He fell at his feet as though he were dead. He didn't fist bumping, chest bumping. He fell at his feet. And when we see the reality of this lamb who was slain, as John the Baptist called him, who was slain for our sin, for our forgiveness, there's only one option, and that is humble ourselves. Say, Jesus, you be greater. I'll be less. God, not my desires, but your desires. But we've got to see his greatness first. You've got to know him. I got to the end of preparing this and I was like, but how did John know? I mean, he seemed so confident. He seemed so sure. How did he know? And I thought back to John chapter one. You see that John is baptizing. Jesus walks by and John says, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. And he said, I came so that he might be revealed to Israel, to the Jewish people, to the world. In verse 32, it says this in John chapter 1. It says, Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I've seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. What's John saying? He's saying, listen, I knew that the Holy Spirit would come down and remain on the Messiah, on the Christ, on the one that God sent from heaven to earth to redeem his people. He said, when I baptized Jesus, even though I fought against it, said, you should be baptizing me. When I baptized Jesus, I saw the Holy Spirit come down. It descended upon him and, and it remained on him. And this was something completely new. This was foreign because for all the Old Testament prophets and even John himself, the Spirit didn't remain on them. It didn't remain in them. It would come for special seasons and then it would leave. It would come for special tasks and then he would leave. And yet he came and remained on Jesus. And I was praying through that and I realized this, that John knew that Jesus was the Christ because God the Father sent His Spirit to reveal the Son of God. And then I realized God has done that in the hearts of billions of people. God has done that in my heart. In many of you, He has done that. He has sent His Spirit into our hearts to reveal His Son. That's what God does he sends the holy spirit to reveal his son and when he is revealed 
And when we see his greatness, when we continually go into his presence and reminded of the greatness of Jesus, we come to a place of bowing, of humility, of surrender, of becoming less. My prayer is that for everybody in here that Jesus has been revealed to you. That through the giving of the Holy Spirit, there's something that has been awakened in you, that you know Him. I'm sure that in a group this size that it's probably not true for everybody. And my prayer is that today the light of salvation would shine in your heart and you realize who He is and you would see His greatness. And you come to a place of saying, yes, I want Him. I don't want my life. I don't want these broken pieces. I want to be whole in Jesus. I realize I can't fix myself. And so for the first time, I realize I need Christ. And I want to ask you right now, you've, you've never come to Christ. You've never come to God. You've never come to Jesus and said, Jesus, fix my life. I can't fix me. I can't forgive my sin. I can't make me right. I need you, God, in my life. You've never had a relationship with Jesus. But today you know he is beckoning you to come. You realize that this God of the universe who created it all and holds it in place and keeps it all sustained is calling you to a relationship with him, to forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And you've seen his greatness as it's illuminated your heart. As the spirit has spoken to you. And today you would say, I want Jesus be bold enough to profess that today to say yeah I want him I want to know him I want to be in a relationship with him and right now I want to ask you to be very bold I know if you're new to church man this is intimidating and this is scary but I promise you we want to walk with you we want to take next steps with you we want to help you in your faith journey we want to see you become whole we want to see your life change and we're going to help you with that and right now I'm going to ask you to be extremely bold and to take an extreme step of faith in light of what Jesus has done for us and in light of his greatness and I'm asking you to stand to your feet right where you are and say yes I want a relationship with Christ. Would you be that bold? Would you stand today? Let us celebrate as a family. Someone who's gone from death to life because they've entered into life through Christ. Would you stand? Because of His greatness and recognizing what He's done for you. There's others of us in here. And you just stand up while I'm talking if that's you. You stand up. Don't You interrupt, man. We'll interrupt for that. There's others of us in here, man, that we need, to, we need to get face-to-face with the Lord. We need to say, Jesus, more of you. We need to see His greatness, and we need to humble ourselves. For many of us, that's where we are today. And I'm going to pray. And listen, when I pray, I want to ask you to be asking God, Jesus, more of you and less of me. And if God puts it on your heart to respond, we're going to sing. And if He puts it on your heart to respond, you come down here, and you get on your knees, and you get on your face, and you say, God, I need more of you. I see your greatness. I want less of me. And you come, and you surrender that to Him today. You don't know the Lord, and you need prayer. You need prayer for anything. These people are over here to my left, your right, standing by the door. We want to pray with you. Listen, don't go through life like this when there is a solution. Christ. His name is Jesus, the Messiah, the Holy One of God. So let's pray and you respond as God leads you to respond. Jesus, we come to you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you 
came, God. We thank you that you gave your best, Father, for us. God, I pray that we would see your greatness. I pray that we would see your power. I pray that we would see your majesty and all that you are and that our hearts would be changed. God, I pray for the one who right now is resisting you, that they would just come to a place of desiring to know you, God, and that they would surrender to you. Lord, I pray for the one right now who knows they've been running from you and maybe they knew you a long time ago and today they need to go for prayer. Today they need to get on their face down here at this altar and get real with you, God, and lay some things at your feet because they've seen your greatness. They want your, you in their life, God. And, and I thank you, God, that in all of that, you just say, come, just come to me. Come to me and lay it down and just allow me to love you. Take my yoke upon you. Lord, God, we thank you that you call us to come and walk with you. We're just moving our hearts. Do what you can do, God. Change our lives, change our hearts for your glory. Help us to see your greatness in Jesus' name. Amen.